You know, it's so easy to fall into a way of thinking where we see only one way to work our way through a challenging situation. This is especially true in diet culture. The, the carnivore diet, for example, says to eat nothing but animal-based products. A lot of macro and calorie counters, especially a lot of influencers that we see on social media, think that tracking is the best way to address your food-related problems. You know, just stick to your calorie target. Easy, right? However, we even see this within non-diet approaches like intuitive eating. While most coaches and counselors are very careful to avoid this, it's easy to find ourselves gravitating toward our favorite kind of go-to approach for addressing a particular eating or body image difficulty. I'm Jeff Ash, certified nutritionist, personal trainer, and intuitive eating coach, and you're listening to the Men's Intuition Podcast. So the other day, I was at the Ninja Gym, which is one of my favorite places to hang out. It's kind of my favorite form of joyful movement. It's definitely a lot of fun. Highly recommended if you ever get the chance to, to do something like that or if it looks kind of interesting or fun for you. But in any case, I was working on just some different obstacles and started thinking about how some of my approach to getting through Ninja obstacles can carry over into how we think about our relationship with food. So one obstacle in particular that seems to be a good illustration for this is uh, these rings that that we we use. So these are rings similar to what you would see gymnasts using where the rings are, su are suspended from uh, a nylon webbing so they swing and you'll have a string of them on a long line and your goal is to get from one end of the line to the other. And so it's kind of a monkey bars type of approach. You know, you're going to going to grab onto one ring, get to the next one, then grab the next one, and so forth. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you could go about this. So one way would be to swing from one, grab the next. So let's say I swing up from a ring holding with my left arm. I grab the next ring with my right. I'm going to pull with my left one to help get my body swinging in that momentum again. So pull me to the side. And then I'm going to release it and swing over and grab the next ring with my left hand. Do the same thing, pull with my right to get my body swinging, release, and then swing over and grab with my right hand and so on. So we're alternating hands, getting our momentum going and swinging back and forth. Now, it's a very smooth way to get through it. It's a good way to do it when you're first learning, but it can be a bit slow. So if you are involved in a race or trying to get through an obstacle more quickly, another approach that you can do to get from point A to point B through that same obstacle is to match hands on the ring, reach out, grab the next ring with, with one hand, then match hands again. So you'd bring so let's say you grabbed it with your right, you'd bring your left over, now your left and right hand are on the next ring, you'd quickly reach over with your right hand again, grab the next ring, quickly bring your left hand to match it, and so it's this different process of getting through it. It's a, it's a quicker process, but it does involve a little bit more strength. So again, this is something that one person may find uh, beneficial for them, while another person might find the other method more beneficial. And it also depends on the context of the situation, which approach you may decide to use. The same is true for balance obstacles. So you, if you've ever watched American Ninja Warrior and you see these different balance obstacles, it's really interesting to see how different people will approach them. Some people skip over some of the, like if there, let's say there's six different steps that you have to take in order to get across it. Some people will skip every other one to minimize the possibility of falling off or because they happen to have a good uh, leg span or a jumping ability where another person may have to 
go across each one and hit each one individually uh, on something like a rolling log. There's different ways that you can approach it. And a good coach will point out the different options, but not tell you necessarily which one you should do. And so you might go across it kind of a duck walk type of approach. You might go across it sideways you, with a shuffling kind of a movement, or you might go across it sideways, stepping over each foot going across it. Uh, again, it may depend on what's the fastest method to get across if you're in a race versus what's the safest method to get across if you're if the goal is to just complete the obstacle. So lots of different things and lots of different ways that we can approach these obstacles. And I think it carries over nicely that concept into the various obstacles that we encounter with our relationship with food and with our body. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about some of those things in the context of our relationship with food, uh, because it's very easy for us to, to get into this mindset where we think that there's only one way and if it's not working, then it's our problem, then we're failing, and that we need to just try harder on that way, when in reality, it may be that it's just time to try it in a different way. Try a different approach, see what happens, see if there's another way that we could go about uh, accomplishing this particular obstacle or working our way through it. So I came up with five different quick examples of things that, um, that we work in as part of learning to become an intuitive eater. And I thought I'd give some just some examples. And again, this is not me telling you how to resolve your issue. This is me giving you some thoughts, some ways to help you reflect on this and maybe uh, come up with some ideas that, that maybe you haven't thought of before, some things that you could try and uh, a slightly different approach that you may wanna take. So the first area that I came up with was hunger and fullness. And this is, you know, honor your hunger, feeling your fullness. And this is an area that a lot of people do struggle with. And in whether it's uh, recognizing when they're truly hungry or recognizing when they're full. And so we have some tools that, that can be helpful in this. And one of the real popular common ones that resonates with a lot of people, not everyone, is the hunger and fullness scale. So we have the scale where you rate your hunger and fullness on the scale of zero to 10. And it can be a really good tool to, to help you to learn to eat when your hunger is at a particular level where it's comfortable and where you're going to enjoy the meal, but you're not ravenous. So you're, you're able to be mindful while you're eating that meal. At the same time, when you leave a meal, you've left with a comfortable level of fullness that's going to satisfy you and carry you over nicely until the next meal while at the same time not being overly full and leaving and feeling sluggish. So this hunger and fullness scale, as I said, is one option that works well with some people. Um, another option that may work in conjunction with that or instead of might be journaling. So, you know, uh, it may be that you write down different observations that you make at your various meals that are related to your hunger and fullness. And then you might go back and review those entries and kind of reflect on them a little bit and say, okay, well, in that particular situation, maybe I could have addressed it this way or that way. And so journaling can be really helpful for a lot of different things. But a lot of us don't like to write in a journal. That's me, I'm not much of a journaler, but I do often record myself on my audio note taker when I have a thoughts pop up in my head that I'd like to articulate or, or kind of record and go back to and listen later. So that might be another option for accomplishing something similar to this journaling concept. Um, 
you might record a video instead, uh, that kind of a thing. Or you might just simply verbalize it and talk out loud to yourself. And for a lot of us, uh, oftentimes we get a thought in our head or an idea. And really all we need to do is just take a moment to to get that thought either written down, recorded, verbalized in some way to help kind of solidify that idea. And so you may find that to be a helpful tool to help navigate this, this hunger and fullness. Uh, another thing that someone might do is pausing mid-meal, where they pause mid-meal and check in with themselves. Uh, someone else might do kind of a full body scan ahead of time, kind of re reflecting and recognizing the different sensations that they're experiencing and make note of that as they're going into a meal. Another approach that uh, is popular with, uh, well, that's actually part of Ellen Satter's How to Eat model and also her division of responsibility model for feeding children is a structured, a little bit more structured uh, schedule with your eating. So you have uh, relatively structured meal and snack times set up so that you have your breakfast at about the same time each day and a snack at about the same time and lunch and so forth because that helps to train your body to uh, be able to trust that it's going to be fed on a regular uh, on at regular intervals and that you're not going to end up being overly hungry and that kind of a thing that is something that can be extremely helpful for some people, while other people that may feel restrictive and limiting to do something like that. So again, it's another approach. And it again, it's worth considering if you're struggling with this hunger and fullness and, and satiety and that kind of thing. And then another area that is important to work on is that unconditional permission to eat, right? But that can be a very challenging <laughs> obstacle to get to a place where we've made peace with food and where we've given ourselves that unconditional permission to eat any food in any quantity at any time. That's one of the probably more difficult things for a lot of people to, to work through. But there's different ways to, to, again, navigate that area. And it may be that you've heard one way and, and you think, oh, well, I have to do that. When in reality, there are lots of different ways that we can, we can work through this. So again, thinking in terms of those ninja obstacles that I was talking about, think outside the box if you're struggling with an area and if you're trying something that maybe isn't working for you. So it may be that you're, that you were, recommended to bring in all of those problematic foods and keep them all in the house and keep your pantry stocked with all of the sweets and all of the things that maybe you have struggled with in the past and binging on those things. And maybe you're finding that just to be overwhelming. You know, that it it's there is no hard and fast rule that you have to do that, right? Remember that there are lots of different ways. And so for you, it may be that just simply bringing in one of those foods and clearing out the others, but but bringing in one of those foods as a starting point, kind of dipping your toes into that area and then getting to where you're feeling more confident and comfortable with that and then progressively adding in more. So there's lots of different ways that you could go about that. You could do something like uh, systematic habituation, which is where we take a single food and you essentially a single food and a single flavor and a single brand, so it's all exactly the same. And you bring that food in and you eat it, uh, a serving of it with every meal and every snack for a period of time until that that habituation process, getting very accustomed to it, get very used to that food, knowing that you can actually stop eating it because you're you're actually demonstrating to yourself that you're able to do that. That can be another tool that can work for a lot of people. Maybe you're not ready to do that right now, and that's okay. So you might 
use an, another approach. But that can be a, a great way to, to deal with a single item at a time instead of feeling so overwhelmed by trying to make all foods fit all at the same time. And that can be a great process. So there's lots of different ways to navigate these different areas. And, uh, and the important thing is that you recognize when you're struggling with one, when one's not working for you right now, so that you can then possibly make a change. Now, I'm not saying to just, if it doesn't work immediately, toss it out, because a lot of these things do take time and practice and some diligence in uh, in working through that and trusting the process. But again, if it's becoming overwhelming and it's, and it's having a, a negative effect on you instead of that positive effect, it's worth considering maybe a different approach. Same thing with these uh, these ninja obstacles that I've been talking about. All right, so habit changes is another area. Um, there are different ways that we can change different habits in our in our uh, our life. So maybe you use something called habit stacking, where you have a habit in place and you stack other habits on top of that. So you have a habit of you know. It, when you walk in the door at home, you immediately put your keys and your wallet down, but then uh, you go to the refrigerator and grab a bottle of water. And so now you start to associate putting your keys and your your uh, wallet down with grabbing a bottle of water. You know, you kind of stack these different habits together. Finding uh, things like that uh, can be a great tool for incorporating and working on changing certain habits or adding in new habits that you would like to add into your life. Um, maybe you start with reminders and uh, an alarm on your phone or a calendar event or something like that. Maybe that would work well for you. Not again, doesn't work for everybody, but that might work for you. We might approach a particular habit where the, you know, the focus is on breaking the habit, or we may approach it where the focus is on replacing the habit with another habit. Uh, we might start with you know, the most basic habit, or we might start with a more significant habit. You know, one one would be maybe an easy habit to change, but doesn't really have a particularly large effect. But but that can build confidence that we know, hey, I can change some of these habits. So we may approach it in that way. Or we might start with one that, that might be somewhat easy, not not super, super easy, but somewhat easy, but with a huge, large effect if we could make a change in that habit, kind of a low-hanging fruit approach. And so that might be the way that we go about it. Uh, we might focus our attention on understanding how that habit developed, or or we may just focus on changing the habit for right now, and then maybe later go back and exploring how we got there in the first place. So lots of different ways that we can we can approach changing habits. Again, if whatever method is going to work for you at a given time and understanding too that as times change as our life changes there may be different things that work better at a given moment for us because we have more emotional bandwidth we may have more mental bandwidth we more we may have more time available we may be sleeping better we uh, you know this can especially be the case when there's illness involved in a family. Maybe we've had a sick child for a while and things are different. And so we may approach these different situations in different ways based on our current circumstances. In fact, we should approach them uh, taking our current circumstances into account. Talking to friends and family is another one. You know, you may decide to set strong boundaries. You may decide to confront people head on. You may 
find avoidance to be the best way to navigate those situations for right now. Again, that's not, I'm not saying long-term that you would necessarily want to do that, but that may be where you're at in your life at the moment. There may be other things where you have to focus your, your mental and emotional bandwidth for right now. And so that may be how you choose to navigate that situation. Somebody else may be navigating it in a completely different way, but we shouldn't feel like there's only one way to get through these various obstacles. Uh, finding support is another area. Um, and there's lots of different ways that you can go about finding support for your intuitive eating journey. Uh, read books, uh, self-paced video courses. I have one of those available called Equip to Thrive, so you can check that out. Um, this is kind of a self-help approach where you where you uh, use other resources to kind of help work through these things kind of on your own and in your own time. You might find that working with a coach or counselor one-on-one -on -one to be a really helpful way of, of working on things. And that maybe, maybe you do that for a short period of time to get a nice kickstart. And then you go about doing a more self-help based approach going on from there. Uh, it may be something that you check in periodically. So again, lots of different ways that we can approach this same goal, the same work through the same obstacle where we feel like we need support and we, we need to get some support. And there's lots of different ways that we can find that support. And maybe it's a group coaching program or an online community. Um, they're all valid and they're all appropriate options in different contexts for different people with different circumstances, whether it be financial, uh, time constraints, emotional constraints, uh, various life circumstances, all of those kinds of things are impacted by that. Now, my whole point in addressing this topic is that I really want to remind you that there's no right or wrong way to go about healing your relationship with food and your body. You know, it's incredibly individual and nuanced. You have specific life experiences that nobody else has been through, uh, that, you know, these things that will impact what's going to work best for you as an individual. You know, your trauma, maybe you have some trauma, may be almost identical to someone else's, and yet you both have processed it completely differently. It may be dramatically uh, different in the way that it impacts your relationship with food, while another person may have no impact on their relationship with food, but is at the core of why they struggle to connect maybe emotionally with their partner. So again, these different ways that all of these things can, can influence us and, and impact us. You know, starting with hunger and fullness may be the best choice or you may need to set that aside at first and simply focus all your attention on unconditional permission to eat, something like that. Neither is right or best. It's it's one thing when we're talking about a true moral issue, right? But but while the, the genesis of some of our food-related issues may trace back to a moral issue, food itself does not have that moral value that we often associate with it. And so it's important to make that, that precise distinction that Food itself is not a moral issue, even if where we find ourselves today and the ways that we're dealing with it trace back to some kind of a moral issue that, that occurred in our life at some point. So let's approach our intuitive eating journeys from, you know, from a perspective of flexibility and exploration, curiosity, experimentation, and mindfulness, you know, where we don't narrowly try to try to apply each principle in the same way as everyone else, where we're open to trying things differently. If we're, if we're doing 
you know, if what we're doing is currently not working for us, where we think outside the box at times, where we're not afraid to, you know, maybe try something new and just see how it works for us. Uh, let me just wrap up by saying that, you know, it can be so helpful to have someone in your corner to help you with this process. You know, as a reminder, I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching so that you can have your specific needs addressed privately and directly. Uh, I also have a self-paced video-based course that will help you understand all of the principles of intuitive eating and how to apply them. And then I also have a men's support community where you can find uh, some nice group support and encouragement from other men that may be on that, the same intuitive eating journey that you are, right? Uh, this journey to this food and, and body peace that we're, uh, that we're often trying to, to get into our life. You know, for more info on those options, definitely check out my website at hopedrivesme.com. And, uh, you know, as always, remember that how we eat is almost always so much more important than the specifics of what we eat. 